Well, today being Mother's Day, I know that there's a, a host of uh, emotions that go through uh, many of us uh, on this occasion. And uh, for me, uh, I reflect uh, 40 years ago this weekend, Mother's Day weekend, 1976, uh, I was ordained into the gospel ministry. And that was uh, on Mother's Day, and that was uh, always something that I think about in the relationship I had with my mother. Uh, you've always seen uh, a Mother's Day video, I think a little tribute, but I just want to give a little more emphasis to it because I'm not going to preach necessarily uh, a Mother's Day sermon. I'm going to tie something into that. But, you know, we celebrate Mother's Day this month, Father's Day next month. What's the difference in those two? Well, let me just throw out some facts for you. It's ought to make you feel good, moms. Uh, number of people who celebrate Mother's Day is 85%. Number celebrating Father's Day is only 76%. Overall spending on Mother's Day is $19.9 billion. On Father's Day, it's only $12.5 billion. People who give mama cards, 81.3%. People who give dad a card, 64.1%. I don't know why we get the short end of the stick, guys, but we do. Now, let me give you a little bit of advice to the guys, okay? Legally and spiritually, a husband is the head of the house, okay? And a pedestrian has the right of way if you're crossing the road, right? Both are perfectly safe within their rights as long as they don't try to confirm it. Then let me give you three things of wisdom, thoughts of wisdom. A Spanish proverb says, an ounce of mother is worth a ton of priest." Abraham Lincoln said, no man is poor who has had a godly mother. And William Ross Wallace said, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. As we celebrate motherhood today, and we celebrate especially godly mothers, I think there are three particular reasons why we need to give honor and tribute to godly mothers. First of all, because of their tenacious love. Secondly, because of the tremendous impact that godly mothers have. And thirdly, because they reflect the care and concern of God. And I think uh, in the video, hopefully it went all the way to the end and you got to see uh, that as well. Now, let's switch over to the message for today. I'm going to be out of Matthew 5, 13. I'm just reading through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. These caught my attention. And, and I want us to look at today being uh, salt of the earth, next week being light of the world. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5 uh, through 7 probably is the best known of all the teachings about Jesus, and he hits on a lot of things. He begins with the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are meek, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and all of that, that talks about that blessed life. Then he comes to where, in 13, he uh, begins to use two powerful word pictures, salt and light, to teach us about, number one, who we are what our identity is in Christ as a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of Him, and what we should do in this culture, what we should be like. Today we're going to focus on salt of the earth, next week light of the world. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, the affirmation about who we are 
is that if we know Christ as Savior and we're following Him in faith, then He says to us, because He was talking to His disciples, He says, you are the light of the world. But before that, He says, today, you are the salt of the earth. Both beautiful images. They both talk to us about who we are and about our mission in this world. Think about salt. After the uh, 845 service, one of our members said, just so happens I'm reading a fascinating book about the history of salt. And I thought, "Mm, how fascinating would that be? But when she began to tell me the different things in there about how many wars have been fought over salt, you know, it kind of perked up my ears. And she said, uh, what I was hoping she would say is, when I finish it, I'm going to give it to you to read because I, I, I'm really interested in that now. One of the things that I found this week, according to the Salt Institute, there are over 14,000 different uses for salt. Now, I want us to think this morning on five thoughts about why Jesus would say to us, we are the salt of the earth and how that relates to who we are in him and how we relate to our culture, Okay. Number one, as the salt of the earth, you are valuable. How valuable was salt? Well, according to the research that uh, this lady was telling me about, wars have been fought over salt. Have you ever heard that phrase? Maybe our older generation has and not so much the younger ones. Talk about somebody and said, he or she's not worth their salt. You know what that means? It goes back to the fact that the Roman army was paid in salt. It gives us our word for salary. And somebody said not to be worth their salt means that they're not earning their pay. They're not worth that, okay? Now, one of the reasons that salt was so valuable because pure salt was rare. Most of it uh, was contaminated with a lot of other minerals, and most of it uh, was gathered from uh, the Dead Sea. I think we got some some images of that here with the Dead Sea and the salt compilations there. I mean, just salt just gathered all all over uh, as um, as we look at these pictures here about the Dead Sea and the salt. Um, Now, Morton Salt, we got a picture of that. And uh, how many of you remember the phrase that's on there, when it rains, it pours? Yeah, isn't that something? Now, I don't know whether they still have it on there or not, because when we buy salt, we buy the cheap kind, you know, we buy the the non-best-selling brand, you know, whatever, the generic grocery store brand. But you know why that's on there, when it rains, it pours, because they were saying that their salt does not clog up in the humidity of rain, you know? It always interested me when we go, when I was a kid, to go to Charleston and visit my aunt and uncle, Harry and Francis, said that they had salt shakers on the table and had grains of rice in it. I thought, what in the world is this all about? But that was to keep it from clogging up, you know, from gathering together. Here's another interesting thing about salt. You know, salt is the only rock that you can really eat. It's categorized as a rock. And just like snowflakes, each one of them are different, so is every crystal of salt. They're all different. Now, think about Morton Salt. Morton Salt produces table salt at a cost of only about $100 a ton. Now, that's fairly cheap, isn't it? So what they have to do is rely upon volume sales. And with over 14,000 uses for salt, I don't think they'll ever run out of a use or a need for salt. Bottom line is, the world cannot live without salt. Now, what does that mean for us? What that means for us is there's a salt of the earth. That means you and I can add value to our world. Think of all the things through history 
where Christians have added value to the world. Let me, let me call your attention to two, hospitals. You might be familiar with Baptist hospitals. We have one here in town, Baptist Palmetto now, Palmetto Baptist. Uh, but we know of Methodist and, and uh, Catholic hospitals and Presbyterian hospitals. I don't think of a place in this country that I've ever heard of a hospital built to bring people healthy lifestyle by atheists. Have you ever heard of a hospital by atheist group? No, I don't think so. Second place I think about is higher education in our country. Of the first 108 colleges that were founded in the United States of America, 106 of them were founded for the purpose of Christian education. These include Harvard, Yale, Princeton, William and Mary, and Brown. Now, they, they might have all have changed to where they become very, very, very liberal now. But that's how higher education began, was by Christian people wanting to have Christian education even at the highest level for American students. Now, one of the greatest compliments that God gave in the Old Testament to his children is found in Isaiah 43, 4, where he says, I love you because you are precious in my sight. Now, what does that mean about us as a salt of the earth? Well, we aren't supposed to be on display like, say, a beautiful diamond. A beautiful diamond placed on the backdrop of uh, black velvet is just an absolutely gorgeous sight to behold. But we aren't supposed to be shelf saints. We are supposed to be people who do because salt does. It just sits there on the table waiting for you to put it to use, and when it does, it goes to work, and it adds value to what's around it. So you and I are supposed to be people who do. And that means that we can add value to this world as we do as believers and followers in Jesus Christ. Now here's the second reason I think that we need to look at being salt of the earth. And that is because when you're the salt of the earth, you are influential. One of the main reasons uh, users of salt back in the time of Jesus was to preserve meat, just to keep it from decaying. Somehow salt spread on the meat, slowed down that decomposition process. And we know even today uh, you use salt on curing meat and keeping it from, from rotting. The analogy for us as people being salt of the earth is that we are to uh, be people of the kingdom who seek to influence our culture and preserve moral decency. I want to throw in a Mother's Day illustration for you about influence, okay? Some of you might be familiar with uh, Dr. Tony Campalo, a Christian author, uh, speaker, uh, professor. Uh, And he goes around the country speaking. Most of the time his wife Peggy stayed at home, uh, being a stay-at-home mom, bringing up their two children. Probably by now, after having read this some years ago, uh, those two children are grown. But sometimes she would go with Tony on some of his speaking engagements, and she told him one time, I always feel so adequate. When people know who you are, and, and, and there's always highly educated, influential people, and they ask me what I do, and I tell them I'm a stay-at-home mom. And so Tony Campalo said, well, you need to come up with a creative and original way of explaining to them why you do what you do and the importance of it. So the next time that she accompanied him, on one of these speaking engagements, a lady came up to her, kind of condescending, and she said, well, dear, uh, we know all know what Tony does. What do you do? And this was her answer. Moms, you need to listen to this. She said, I am nurturing two homo sapiens 
into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might become instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia God envisioned from the beginning of time. You understand what that means? That means that she was doing her best to rear her children to be God-fearing children so that they would be the kind of people that God would use to change the culture. See, that is what we're supposed to do as salt. We're to be influencers. See, all of us who are followers after Christ, we're the salt of the earth. And I think we need to be actively doing today, influencing our culture, because we need to regain our moral goodness and godliness. One writer calls our our current situation today moral insanity. And as salt, we should seek to influence our culture as a force for decency. Here's a third observation about salt. And that is, as a salt of the earth, you and I can make a difference. What do we do with salt? What's the basic use of it? We use it to flavor our food. Been done that way for thousands and thousands of years, right? All right. Go back to Job chapter 6, verse 6, one of the oldest books we have. And you think about Job and his struggles and all of that. And one of the questions that he raises in there is this. And, and I, this sounds like somebody, you know, that um, hospital food is always called bland. You know, and, and if you've eaten too much salt in your life, you've got to cut back on it. You don't get to put it on what you want to put it on, right? So Job asked this question. He says, is tasteless food eaten without salt or is there flavor in the white of an egg? But if you've had the good part of the egg taken away from you diet-wise and you only get white of an egg, you know there's not a whole lot of taste in the white of an egg. All right. Then Job says this, I refuse to touch it. Such food makes me ill. Now think about this for a moment. What would it be like to eat popcorn with no salt on it? A corn on the cob without salt. A french fries without any salt on them. A baked potato without any salt. And how in the world could we eat grits without them being salted just to the right taste? Hmm? Now, a personal application for us as the salt of the earth is this. We are called to make a noticeable difference in this world in which we live. Jesus had an analogy about the Pharisees, the blind, leading the blind. One of the guys I read this week said, our culture today is the bland leading the bland. And what he talks about is the fact that so many non-believers today are looking to find meaning and purpose in life and the next thrill, but life on a constant level is just a bland existence. When, When Jesus comes into our life, he promises us, two things of importance about our life. One is eternal life. We confess our sins, repent of our sins, we're baptized to follow Him, and we are promised eternal life. But at the same time, Jesus promises us the abundant life, and that's certainly nothing bland, is it? In John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. See, an abundant life is not a bland life. We can make a difference, believe it or not. 
because we're the salt of the earth. Now, number four, as the salt of the earth, you can create a thirst for living water. When we eat too much salty food, it makes us thirsty. Sometimes in the wintertime, we like to have breakfast food for supper. Any of you ever do that? It's good eating, isn't it? That's like grits, salted just right, eggs, and country ham, maybe some biscuits. But invariably, when we do that and have the country ham, I'm up sometime during the night to get a glass of water because it creates thirst. You know, salted just right, it creates thirst. But we live in a culture that's spiritually dry. And people are drinking in all kinds of things, but they're still thirsty. If we make them thirsty for the right reason, we can lead them to the living water. In the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus has sent his disciples on into town, and Jesus stays at the well. And the Samaritan woman shows up, you remember that? And she comes to draw water, and Jesus says, would you give me a drink? And she's like, you, would you ask me, a Samaritan, to give a drink? And it opens up the whole dialogue for Jesus to talk to her about the living water. And he says, you know, you come to this well every day and you draw water and you drink it and you're still thirsty and you have to come back and get more. He says, I can give you living water that you can drink and you'll never thirst again. And she said, give me that water. He is the living water. He is the living water. I remember many times in, in the early morning men's Bible study, we get into this conversation about, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And uh, Joe Anderson would always come up with this line that would say, you can always put a little bit of salt in his oats and make him thirsty. We, as the salt of the earth, we as the salt of the earth can make people thirst. For the living water Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 4, 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer anyone. Fifth observation, as a salt of the earth, you must not lose your purpose. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but he didn't stop there. In verse 13, he goes on to say, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Jesus warned about losing the saltiness in one's life. In the times of Jesus... The, the salt was basically not pure salt like we have today. It had a lot of different minerals in it, especially that gathered from the Dead Sea. It had all kinds of minerals in it. But yet, they would use that salt to add flavor to whatever they were cooking. And they would just put a handful of that salt that had different minerals in it in like a leather pouch. And when the stew or soup or whatever they were cooking was boiling, they'd take that pouch and just dip it in there a little bit. And always some of the flavor of the salt would seep into whatever was being cooked. But eventually all the salty flavor would be gone and nothing would be left but the minerals. And then there was nothing to do with that except empty that bag and throw it out. And literally that's what made the roads and the, and the walkways around the homes that people would throw the salt out. Now, technically pure salt cannot lose its saltiness. 
unless it comes in contact with impure minerals. Analogy for us is very simple. We are the salt of the earth. We are called to be pure. And the only way we lose our saltiness is that we stain our life with impurities. We're to penetrate our culture in a positive way for the glory of God. And the only way we can do that as believers is by maintaining our purity. You see, that's our calling and that's our challenge is to change the world. Um, In the early years of Apple Computer, Steve Jobs was trying to recruit John Scully, who was president of PepsiCo. And John uh, Jobs gave this question to Scully. He said to him, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? And it worked. Scully left PepsiCo, came to work for Apple Computers. Now, that's true for Apple Computers. Think about the mission and purpose that you and I have in life. As believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, as the salt of the earth, our mission is to change this world. Our mission is to add purity and morality and goodness and decency and to bring the kingdom of God into this world. And long after all Apple computers and every iPhone and iPad and whatever else you've got, iWatch or whatever, everything has become nothing but rusted pieces of equipment. Our mission will still be the same. And it will still be vitally important for all eternity. Therefore, we cannot lose our purpose. We cannot allow our saltiness to be infiltrated by impurities. So here we are as the salt of the earth in the words of Jesus. What does it mean? First of all, you've repented of your sin, confessed Christ as your Savior. You're following after Him. And as you follow after Him, then, you seek to add value. You seek to influence. You seek to bring the kingdom of God into this world by fulfilling the mission that God has called us to do. We're the salt of the earth. We add flavor to life. We live that abundant life. All for the glory of God and all to influence this culture for His kingdom. You and I who know Christ, we're the salt of the earth. Father, we thank You that You think so highly of us that You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so that we could experience forgiveness and experience life with You in a wonderful new relationship And that we could also experience eternal life when we leave this world. But, Father, we thank you also that you think so much of us that you've challenged us to be the salt of the earth. Help us as believers in Jesus Christ today to be true salt in this world. Now, as we live for your glory, making a difference for you and for your kingdom. And, Father, it's in the name of Christ we pray and for your glory. Amen.